This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Attention Ditto Heads. Attention, Bo Scouts. Goes by the pseudonym Bo Snurdly. It's time for the Soul of Excellence. He is a radio host at 77 WABC here in New York. The Rush Hour is on the air. Rush, Rush. Now, here's Bo Snurdly. And welcome to Black Friday. You are post, well, my engineer calls it White Thursday, but actually, <laughs> hope you had a great Thanksgiving yesterday. Here we are, Black Friday. If you're on your way out shopping, keep us with you. Here on WABC Talk Radio 77, we've got a lot to do today. Todd Benzman from the Center for Immigration Studies will join us. And America's caffeinated mom, Rhonda Schrock, Schrock will be here. And uh, so make sure you stay here for the full hour. John Katz up next, of course, after this show. We have, ladies and gentlemen, America's Princess of Policy with me. Very rare that we open the first segment with Princess Di, but today's a special day. And this is a serious thing that we have to talk about. Princess Di brought this to our attention uh, earlier in the week, and it is worth revisiting. So happy Black Friday, Princess Di. How are you, my lady? I am so happy to hear your voice. It is a wonderful thing, Sir James, as always. It is. You know, I hope your Thanksgiving was wonderful, Diana. There is a piece of legislation and goodness, I hate to bring up legislative matters on today, but this cannot wait. You brought it to our attention, and I have been perturbed ever since you filled us in on the details. And that is the alleged bill that is called the uh, alleged, meaning the title, Respect for Marriage. It is anything but. Can you inform our audience that hasn't heard this and revisit it for those that have exactly what this measure is well it sounds good as all democrat legislation does it you know it's basically all is paradise legislation all of the names of their bills are not true so that should be your first clue this is not in any way a respect for marriage act at all it is in fact a respect for one kind of marriage and that is gay marriage and the traditional views of the traditional marriage are not going to have legal protection going forward if this does indeed pass this coming week. And the dis disappointment is on our side that 12 Republican senators voted to advance this legislation. If they had not, this would have died on the vine. This would have been, you know, successfully filibustered. But because, you know, Mitch McConnell obviously gave the green light, although he did not vote for it. He, you know, there are these things do not happen by themselves. 
And so 12, the usual suspects, and I'm not going to name all of them, but it's Susan Collins, Rob Portman, Lisa Murkowski, and Mitt Romney. That's the kind of Republican we, we know them by their deeds. We know all 12. And it is something that is going to take away uh, tax exemption from organizations and possibly churches included who refuse to perform or su- uh, support gay marriage. And uh, federal funds will be taken away. The threat is enormous and countrywide. And unfortunately, you had some organizations who supported it and gave these 12 senators cover, the National Association of Evangelicals and the Mormon Church, who are basically lying about what the impact is going to be. And the the key to it is that Mike Lee offered an amendment which protects faith-based institution, traditional marriage supporters, and they he can't even get a vote on it. And so they keep claiming, the supporters of this bill, that this is, you know, all a made-up paranoia. There's no reason to have the Mike Lee Amendment at all. And his response is, well, then let's debate it. If what you are saying is true and that traditional marriage will be protected, then let's have the debate. But they won't. So this is something that is alarming. It's something they tried to slip under the radar. It was the first day when Mitch McConnell won the leadership post again for the ninth time. It was the first thing on the docket, first thing they did. And so they thought in the, you know, the fog of war from the election, no one would pay attention. Well, thank goodness for heritage and thank goodness for people who actually do read legislation that the alarm was sent out. And so, as I had said last time, that is something we all need to become activists on. And we need to call our senators, our representatives and demand that this not move forward without Mike Lee's amendment. And, and, and in fact, it shouldn't move forward at all, and it should be filibustered. Well, this is not a settled issue in the country. I know people say, oh, gay marriage, come on, we did that years ago. Yes, that part has been settled, but it is not settled inside American churches and among people of faith. In fact, the Methodist, I, I don't know, I believe it's the United Methodist, but one of the, the major churches in Christianity just lost a third of their congregations who decided that they could no longer stay with the parent uh, organization, the parent church, because of this issue, because they believe differently and they don't recognize. And so they're losing, um, they're losing about a third of their congregations. This is anything but settled. And so the threat is, is that if you don't toe the line, if you don't believe as you're being told to believe, that the that you will be subject to lawsuits. You'll be not only called the names that you're called, you, you'll lose your tax exemption if you're a church, and possibly subjected to lawsuits claiming that you're a bigot because of your religious beliefs. Now, all of this, to my way of thinking, violates the religious principles that America was founded on. This is Thanksgiving weekend. We are celebrating this weekend the true story of Thanksgiving is Russia. It was not only about um, ab- about the introduction of capitalism over socialism into America, but it was also the pilgrims who came here in search of religious freedom. Our first 
article, the, the amendment, the first amendment to our Constitution, forbid the government to enter into this very debate, they should make no law that prohibits the, the expression of religion, and yet here they are doing it. And it's not only the expression, it's the free exercise of, in other words, you know, it's not just what you're allowed to believe what you want, but you're allowed to, as a religious person, exercise that faith as part of your citizenship rights. And one of the things this bill also does, which is very important to know, it repeals the 1996 Defense of Marriage Act, which was signed by Bill Clinton. It was a bipartisan uh, law, and it requires the federal government basically to protect traditional marriage. And now that's going out the window. And to have anyone on our side pretend that it's fine and good and glorious and that people who, you know, uh, believe in traditional marriage will be protected. Well, then why are we getting rid of the existing law? That I mean, I thought settled law was something that we were supposed to, you know, stare at thesis was something we were supposed to be fans of. But in this case, they're just throwing it out the window. And, it, and one of the, the worries is uh, the law supposedly says that organizations will be protected, which is not true. But there's nothing in there about individuals, such as if you happen to have a little cake-making shop or a little, little wedding photographer shop, there's nothing in there that protects your right to not do engage in commerce that supports gay marriage. And in this legislation, you will be subject to lawsuits and federal action. So in my opinion, this needs to be thoroughly aired, and I'm very, very grateful for Heritage for bringing it to our attention. And Heritage made the connection between this legislation and the 87,000 IRS agents that are on the docket, because that is where this battle is going to be. A tax exemption will be removed from many organizations who now basically uh, believe in traditional marriage. This is quite upsetting, and I'll tell you what, one of the things I can't help think, at least in the case of some of these senators, the Romneys, the Murkowskis, even Jody Ernst went along with this business, Capito, Burr, Blunt, Murkowski. A lot of Republicans were actually unhappy that Roe versus Wade was overturned. Now, they may not say it, and they may yeah. not say it loudly, but Sue Collins, come on, she was openly upset about it. And so I think this, in a way, is almost, in, in addition to everything else that you mentioned, this is also a little payback. Oh, you guys want to take care? You guys got rid of Roe versus Wade? Well, take this. They don't like the evangelical movement. They don't right. like, yeah, they don't like, um, I'm, how do I put it, religious believers that are strong in their faith. They find those people objectionable. At least that's my point of view. I think that's exactly right. And and your assumption about the connection between uh, getting rid of Roe v. Wade is absolutely explicit. That was June 24 of this past year where Roe v. Wade fell. By July 19th, this legislation was ready to go in the House of Representatives, and it got 47 Republican votes. It was a direct result of the fall 
of Roe v. Wade, and explicitly so. They got right on on this, you know, train to okay the Clarence Thomas comment about revisiting uh, the Obergefell decision. He mentioned that in his concurring opinion, and so they went right to action. So this is a, a direct result, as you say, of Roe versus Wade. And unfortunately, we have a lot of rhinos who are, you know, in that same camp. Well, okay, there's a call to action, folks. If this is a matter that that concerns you, you'd better not sit on the sidelines. Princess Di, thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your Thanksgiving weekend. Same to you, Sir James. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. James Golden, known popularly as Bo Snurdly. This is The Rush Hour with Bo Snurdly. Rush. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, with you here on Talk Radio 77. on our Black Friday, most nearly rush hour, our dear friend from the Center for Immigration Studies, you can find Todd Benzman at the Center for Immigration Studies.org, Center for Immigration Studies.org. Todd, it's been a while. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. Thank you. Yeah, it has been a while. Yeah, Todd, you have a, before we even begin, since it's Black Friday, I want to tell people you have a new book that's available for free, for pre-order right now. In time for Christmas, you can give somebody a a stocking stuffer, a pre-order for your new book on the border. Tell us about the book, Todd. So the book is called Overrun, How Joe Biden Unleashed the Greatest Border Crisis in U.S. History. Uh, published by Post Hill Press, Bombardier Books. It'll be out in uh, February in bookstores nationwide. And this book is everything that you ever wanted to know about how this mass migration crisis, the greatest mass migration border crisis in American history, got started, what caused it, what it looks like, and how to get out of it. Wow. And that is, it must be a powerful read. You have been down on the border. You have not only been on our southern border, but you have been on the southern border of Mexico and Central America. 
Your reports have been outstanding. We learned from you things that we haven't learned anywhere else in the news. For instance, one of the things that I keep citing, Todd, from some of your earlier reports is the involvement of the United Nations and also of a few religious orders in helping to fund this surge of illegal immigration into the United States. One of the things that I've learned is how the uh, amnesty, our amnesty program has been abused. And Title 42, which you brought up months and months and months ago, Title 42 was recently in the news. A federal judge kind of did Biden a favor and said, hey, this whole uh, uh, Title 42 thing is, is not good. Let's get rid of it. Can Let's maybe start from there. What is Title 42 for those people that don't know? Why is it important? And what is this current state? This is a three-part question. What's the current state of our borders? So Title 42 was is a CDC uh, authority. It has nothing to do with immigration, but it allows it allowed President Trump to shut down the southern border and uh, instantly expel everybody that uh, Border Patrol could lay hands on back into Mexico and deny all of them the chance to claim asylum, which is massively abused to get into the country ordinarily. So the numbers fell precipitously. That was in March of 2020. Biden inherited it, kept it in place for a little while, but opened up these huge exemptions in, in it that caused this border crisis. Families, pregnant women, unaccompanied children, those people all got a pass on Title 42 until millions are uh, were moved inside the country. So the latest with it is that, you know, the administration has been trying to get rid of it, but it's the last speed bump to literally just hundreds and hundreds of thousands a month pouring through to take advantage of these Biden policies. Because Biden's just letting everybody in under this other authority called parole and uh, letting them claim asylum later, ostensibly. And so there's this huge, huge numbers coming through. Well, he kept a little – He kept, a court kept it in place when he tried to get rid of it. Now a court has eliminated it completely, and it looks like it will go away on December 21st. Already the world is coming. The intelligence community is estimating that as many as 540,000 a month will be crossing over that border once Title 42 goes away. So there, there is this massive uh, like World War II kind of preparation going on in the federal government right now to handle this incredible uh, tsunami that's coming to the border. Now, already the border is at historic crisis levels in terms of numbers, apprehensions. Uh, in 2022, we hit the all-time record for the nation's history of 2.37 million apprehensions, and that doesn't count another 600,000 gotaways, at least, uh, just for fiscal 2022. Last year, it was 1.7 uh, uh, 7 million who got through. So altogether, uh, we're looking at you know four plus you know million 
apprehensions. This is like wildly beyond anything in the American experience. Uh, that's why the name of my book is Overrun, because we are literally overrun down there. And that's with Title 42. Once that Title 42 is gone next month, man, oh, my God, look out. Now, look New out. York and New York and uh, some other locales across the country where Ron DeSantis and Governor Abbott were sending a few migrants to complained loudly that they did not have the resources to take care of these. Now, these were just a few plane loads or a few bus loads of migrants that came through. In fact, New York ended up spending some $600,000 to build a tent with all kind of luxury uh, accommodations, and then they ended up not really using it. They complained loudly and said, this is a crisis, this is straining our budget. You just mentioned that over the course of the last year and a half, we have almost 4 million-plus apprehensions. How are the states that are near the border handling this influx? Well, it's chaos and pandemonium all along the borderlands. Car chases three, four, five, six times a week in all these cities and towns uh, just people pouring through. Uh, there's a conveyor belt system that moves them uh, through. They don't stay in the borderlands. They're moving throughout the interior of the country, including New York. They've been going to New York. The funny thing about the busing by the governors, to me, was that what are you complaining about? They've been coming to your state on their own volition by the tens of thousands for a year and a half, uh, you know, the governors are barely adding a, a drop to the ocean there. But, uh, you know, cities across the country, you know, Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, you know, Seattle, Portland, uh, New Jersey, you know, all over Florida. I mean, every city in the country is just absolutely overflowing with these immigrants who are not being bused by anybody. They are buying bus tickets to go there. With what money? How are they? How are these? Now, supposedly, many of these immigrants are coming here and they are poverty stricken. How are they affording bus tickets to get from uh, the, the the border up to up to these places, up to the heartland in some cases, or, well, or New York? I, I spent a lot of time with immigrants, as you know. I always ask them, "Where are you getting your money?" Uh, and then, by the way, the bus tickets is, the, is, I mean, this is the least of it. These guys are spending, you know, $10,000 on Mexican cartel smugglers to, to even get here. And, uh, you know, these are fortunes for people coming from impoverished places, supposedly. And I always ask them, where do you get your money? And the answer mostly is, you know, I have relatives and friends in the U.S. that are wiring it to me. So they're getting it from they're getting their smuggling money from U.S. relatives who then they'll pay back when they get their work permits. And also, sometimes they borrow it from the cartels uh, and then which case they go into this kind of indentured bondage. I wouldn't say that's a majority of them, but but there's that, too. Some of them smuggle drugs in to defray their costs and some just raise the money from the village. From their relatives back home, everybody puts in, chips in, and then, you know, Jose comes to the U.S., uh, claims asylum, and then pays them all back with interest. 
So it's worth it for everybody uh, to invest in somebody who's pretty much going to be here for the rest of their lives working and earning U.S. dollars. My goodness. What can the nation do? You said that part of your book is how we can actually start to solve the problem of this unimpeded flow of illegal immigrants. What Can you give us as a hint as some of the things you're thinking? Yeah. Well, the first thing is acknowledge that you are an alcoholic. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's what they right. say about alcoholism. I don't mean to be flip about that, but if you don't acknowledge that you have a problem, you can't fix it. And this administration routinely goes in front of the public and says, there's no problem down there. There's no crisis. The border is under control. And that's just a flat-out lie. That is an addict that cannot admit they have a problem. Okay, so that's number one. And my book just absolutely drives this home, why this is a crisis uh, and the numbers that back this up, the government numbers that back this up. Number two is the U.S. asylum law. The U.S. asylum law is so massively abused. I have a huge chapter in the book called Insane Asylum, uh, probably 10,000 words of just evidence, my evidence from field work about how people are lying their way through this asylum system that they don't deserve, that was built for people who really need asylum. That asylum law has to be tossed and rebuilt so that it can't be abused that the way it's being abused. Uh, another thing is that there are these loopholes, these legal loopholes that are very fixable. You just have to want to fix them. Trump came very close to fixing. One of them is called the Flores loophole. Google that. Flores oh, yes, the loophole. Flores agreement. This Flores agreement yes. that, that – by the way, Democrats have bludgeoned Republicans with saying that, that, that Trump and others want to separate the children from their parents. This was a law put in place during the Clinton administration. It was suggested by people like the ACLU as a way to, to, to keep children out of the holding facilities with their parents for extended periods of time. This is nothing to do with the way that it's been politicized. So I'm glad you mentioned yeah. this Flores. Flores. Go ahead, I'm sorry, Flores continue. Loophole. Flores loophole must be fixed, closed up, sewn up for, for this type of thing to, to end. And uh, the, book, the book goes into a number of other uh, uh, issues that have to be fixed. But for the most part, our immigration enforcement system, our immigration law is great. It does. It says that we should do exactly what we should be doing to control the border. So the law does not need reform, in my opinion. The law is good. Everything about it is is almost perfect. But the administration's that come into office don't enforce it. They use something called prosecutorial aversion of prosecutorial discretion with the law. Prosecutorial discretion must be eliminated. If we have to come in and make a new law saying you can't use prosecutorial discretion, then so be it. But 
The law just simply needs to be enforced as Congress intended. And those are three or four of the biggies. Well, Todd, we look forward to having you on in the future as we, because this is not an issue, sadly, that's going to be going away anytime soon. And uh, also to hearing more in depth. And this book, we can't wait to, to actually have you on when your book is out. Again, you can pre-order the book. Give the name one more time, please. It's called Overrun, How Joe Biden Unleashed the Greatest Border Crisis in U.S. History. And, folks, we are only just beginning. We have two more years of this to go. By the time the Biden administration's first term is up, we should have about 7 million people inside the country from over the border, unbelievably uh, beyond American experience. Wow. Todd, as always, thank you for your time. Thank you for the great work. I, I don't know why, Todd, you have not been nominated for journalism's highest awards. The work that you <laughs> have done, I'm, I'm not kidding. The work that you have done is simply incredible, and nobody on the national scene is doing quite what you do in the way that you do it, going there, the in-person interviews, the collecting of the data. You've just been remarkable with keeping Americans informed at the failures that are going on on our own border. And thank you so much for joining us, Todd. Happy Thanksgiving Day weekend, and uh, we hope to speak with you soon. Thank you. The Rush Hour with Bo Snerdly. Goes by the pseudonym Bo Snerdly. Rush. Now, here's Bo Snerdly. WABC Talk Radio 77. Bob James brings us back. I believe this was from his seventh album, entitled Friends. on the line with us when this is Black Friday. She is known widely as America's caffeinated mom. Rhonda Schrock, how are you on this Black Friday? Well, I think I'm still caffeinating, James, after all that turkey and uh, the pumpkin pie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love it. Now, did you bake every, did you, what time do you start cooking for Thanksgiving? I know if there's one thing I'm guessing is that Rhonda is not ordering Thanksgiving Day uh, in uh, and the Thanksgiving meal in that you're actually hands on with this. Am I right? Uh, completely. My my family would rise up and stage a coup. And so for, 
<laughs> they really would. They have come to expect the turkey with the full urban spice rub down, um, Aunt Iola's spice maple pumpkin pie, uh, the whole kablooey. They will not accept anything less than that. <laughs> I just love it, Rhonda. You know, um, th- that song that I play, Bob James, kind of fits you perfectly. Mm-hmm. I can always count on you to lift up my spirits when 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 they are falling down or when something's going on. Mm-hmm. And you don't even know. Sometimes it's, you'll send me a picture, you'll send me an image that you are that, that you have taken from from out there in what the liberals call flyover country, America's <laughs> heartland. And it's the most beautiful image and just seeing it lifts my spirits. And that's what you do to people. You you bring spirits up for those people around you. Thank you so much. I I appreciate that, and it's my joy and my delight to encourage other people. I, I really love it, so I probably get more from it than other people do, actually. It's such a blessing to me. You know, one of the reasons I asked you to join us on this thing, we, we all are thankful on this, on this Thanksgiving weekend for many things, and you have a true story that I asked you permission if you would share it with our audience. Those people that are steeped in, in, in the Bible know the story of the prodigal son. It is rare to find someone that has kind of lived, in a way, that experience right now. And so let me just clear out of the way, and, and, and you tell us about your story. Well, yes, it is. I have so much to be thankful for this year. Uh, we all do, my family. My husband and I have six, have four sons. There's six of us in our, in our tribe. And the oldest son, uh, about the time he was probably a freshman in college, somewhere in there, he began, we, we started to see some very concerning signs. He started experimenting with well, he kind of started with tobacco and some alcohol, and then he slipped into marijuana. And for the next number of years, it was a spiral into the world of full-blown drug addiction, which culminated uh, in homelessness. We, we were raised, my husband and I were raised in the church, and we were faithful to raise our sons, you know, in our faith tradition, and we never saw that coming. He even went to his last two and a half years of college. He was in a Christian university. And, you know, James, when a person wants to make bad choices, they will make them anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, What happened, I mean, it was excruciating to watch his implosion. And, I mean, this was over years. But what began to happen when, uh, you know, we prayed a lot, we leaned on our faith, we prayed all the time, and he just kept sliding further and further away from us and away from God, actually. So we, we took that opportunity, or God took that opportunity, to begin working in us. My husband will tell you that he parented with a lot of anger in those early years. Um, And his anger, you know, came from his own pain, his own wounding, just as our son's descent came from his pain and his wounding. And in clarity in recent years, he's been able to say it was bitterness. You know, I got bitter over things that happened to me, and that's what I chose to do with my bitterness. Well, 
there came a point. I, so while my husband parented from anger, I mean, we loved the boys ridiculously, but we still brought our own wounds into our marriage and our parenting. My probably greatest parenting failure was parenting from fear. And when that happens, um, you turn to control. So I would try to control him. I would try to control everything. And control and anger are antithetical to relationships. And so it really strained our relationships with him. Uh, Control is just so stifling and suffocating, and it pushed him away. Well, there comes a point when you realize as a parent that you actually have no control. Wow. And yes, and that's a that's a turning point. And so for me, it I hit a point where I had to either trust God all the way with this son of mine, no matter what God had to do to get him back. And that was frightening, but it was liberating. For my husband, he came to an actual moment in time where he was alone in his office one day and he This whole thing, his sorrow and his heartbreak over his son's situation was so overwhelming. And he saw that he could not control it. There is that word again. And he ended up on his face on the floor in his office crying out to God and giving up his whole entire life to God. And in that moment of time, it was a true miracle, James. All of his anger from his whole lifetime was just gone, just gone. Wow. And he got up from that floor, and he was a different man. He was a different father, a different husband. And when that happened, things in our family began to shift for the good. Okay. So over time, I mean, and still, and still we watched our son just sliding further and further and further. So, Rhonda, you never lost hope, though. Or did you at some times just say, look, this is just, I just have to get my arms around the fact that we may be losing our son forever. Did you? I I refused to that. I absolutely refused to that. Despair was too costly. It was a price I was not willing to pay. I just would not. I would not give in to that despair. And my husband was a little more inclined to go there. And I would say, hon. There is no actual reason for despair. It only looks like it. Mm. And I would not, I would not go there. By the summer of 2020, he was homeless, floating around in the homeless encampments in Texas. We had no way to get a hold of him. We did not have proof that he was still alive. But in my heart of hearts, I knew that my son was alive. And I had placed him so completely in God's care and keeping that even though I knew in my, in my spirit that he was in growing peril, I still was able to get up every day with peace in my heart and joy and be able to laugh and be happy and enjoy my life with my other three sons and my husband. But my husband began to say, I feel like I have to go down there and start looking for him. I just have to know that I tried to find him. And so in September of 2020, he and a very close friend of ours who was also self-employed took six days off of work. And those two men went down to Texas. And for six days in the Texas heat, they combed those homeless encampments 
Um, they took his last known photo, which was a mugshot. I cannot tell you as a mother how excruciating it was to see that picture. But that's what they took. It was the most recent photo they had. They went through the homeless encampments, followed every tip, every clue, every lead, stepped over the used drug needles, over the feces, over the horror, and through the hell that is the homeless encampment. And they saw other people's children shooting up, flopped over, passed out. And my son, my husband knew that somewhere in that misery was his, was his child. The day that they were going to fly home, I knew that they were going to spend every last spare second they could on the ground looking for him before they left. I was out walking on the road that day, and God, God and I have a different relationship. He talks to me, and I talk to him, and he said to me, they will not find him, but it will do a greater work if they don't find him, and he hears that his father was there looking for him. When my husband came home that night and I picked him up at the airport, he was devastated. And he said to me over and over through his tears, I failed. I failed. And I said, you didn't fail. You did not fail. You, you, you accomplished the mission. This will do the greater work. And one week later, it was about midnight. We were just about to fall asleep. And we got a phone call from a policeman, and he said, we have your son. He's here in the emergency room. He's pretty beaten up by the drugs. He has a serious infection in his leg, but we have him. And he said to, I could hear him from my pillow, and he said to my husband that night, I'm sorry to be so blunt, sir, but it's better that you get this phone call than the one that says we found a body. Wow. And I knew he was telling me the truth, and I knew what he was saying without him having to say all the words. Mm -hmm. Well, that was his turning point. Um, they finally held him long enough that he could detox and he could start to come into his right mind. And from there, um, I'm telling you, mustard seed faith is the most powerful thing in the world because mustard seed faith and the incredible efforts of an earthly father <laughs> moved mountains and opened doors, and our son, instead of doing hard time in prison, which he was looking at, he was going to prison, he was allowed to go to a rehab facility, a long program, and in those 18 months, James, God got a hold of his heart, he began to change and heal and grow, and he just, um, the other week, a couple weeks ago, had his official graduation from that program and he is now on staff at that facility wow a complete turnaround a complete turnaround i i spoke to him last night um and he wanted me to convey this message he does not want to be put on a pedestal he doesn't want people to think of him as some superhero this is what he wants your audience to know that the redemption that he found is available for anyone. Mm. Rhonda, and, uh, that is just an amazing message. It, it is, and I, it was bloody hell walking through it. But James, I used to tell him even before, even while he was still 
off in the wild, I would say, you know what, I'm so thankful for your journey, and this is why, because it's done so much good work in your dad and I. Hmm. We are different people because of your journey. So what will it be like, Thud, when you return and you're partnering now with God instead of fighting with him? But because of his journey, James, I know for a fact, because I'm living in it, that it has changed the culture and the course of our family for generations to come. That was a high price to pay, but it was not too high. It was not too high Rhonda, for that kind of a gift. <laughs> I have to tell you, I am so grateful to you on this Thanksgiving weekend for you to share your family story and your story, your relationship story with God, with this audience. This is this is life. This is the real life. This is something that can bring hope to many more people than you or I possibly know. And it's mm. all worth it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Rhonda Schrock, America's caffeinated mom, my friend, my dear friend. Wishing you the best this holiday weekend and in the days ahead in your family. And thank you, Rhonda, for being with us and thank you for sharing. Thank you so much. Hour with Bo Snurdly. Goes by the pseudonym Bo Snurdly. Rush. Now here's Bo Snurdly. Well, here we are. Black Friday on WABC Talk Radio 77 in New York. James Golden, aka Bo Snurdly. The police bring us back. Spirits in the material world. Have no faith in constitution. There is no bloody revolution. Well, there was no bloody red wave. Hey, Scott, what did you tell me that uh, your friend thought the lyrics to this... Uh, Thought that this was that they were saying there are bears in my hot cereal. <laughs> there were bears in my hot cereal. I love it. Well, if you're out shopping, please be careful. If you're not doing your shopping online, of course, you know Cyber Monday is 
one of the biggest days now as we are in this period, and I guess now officially the Christmas season begins today, the buying season, spirits in the material world, all of us in the material world looking for the best materials at the best deal prices. If you're going to be around the city, please be careful. Be careful driving. Be careful if you're among big crowds. Make sure, ladies, that you have your purses secured, that you don't just leave things in the shopping cart and just, oh, I'll just turn my head. This is New York. And these days, New York with Democrats, hey, not to scare you, but just to say, be aware of your surroundings. If you're going to be taking part in mass transit, be aware of your surroundings. This is New York, where we don't deal with criminals the way that we should. But it doesn't mean we can't have a great time. It doesn't mean that we can't have a wonderful, wonderful end of Thanksgiving weekend and a happy start to Christmas season 2022. And so what's on tap? We're going to continue to follow the politics as it unfolds during this, what is now the closing days of this Congress. Believe me, there will be a lot of activity happening between now and the end of the year. We will follow the restructuring of Congress that's now underway. We will be following the election in the House to see who the next House Speaker is. We will be following this incredible law that strips religious people of their freedoms. And believe it or not, it's called Respect for Marriage Act. Absolutely zero respect for traditional marriage and zero respect for Americans who believe in it. All of that's on tap in these days ahead, in this season ahead. James Golden, it's always a pleasure to be with you. Here on WABC Talk Radio 77 for Boston Early's Rush Hour and tomorrow morning for our Saturday morning radio extravaganza, which begins at 7 o'clock. Remember, you can sign up for the Daily BS at jamesgolden.com. That's our twice-a-day news blast. May God bless and protect each and every one of you and your families. We'll be here bright and early. Hope you have that first cup of coffee with us tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock for our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. We'll see you then. Bye.